everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. My name is Ashlyn Phelps, and I'm the communications coordinator at High Point Church. A few months ago, we had a very exciting development, and we got an email for the podcast. We've been sent some questions in the last few weeks, and in this episode, Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, and Aaron Hesse, our director of small groups and connections, are going to go through and answer them. The questions you'll hear about today have to do with anger, kindness, and silence. If you have a question that you'd like answered on the podcast, we would love to have more Q&A episodes like this one. So send them over to podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. I'm Erin Hesse. I'm Nick Gibson. And um, as was just explained to you in the introduction, we're going to be going over a smattering of different questions that have been sent in to the podcast email. People have sent in questions asking about clarification from different sermons. And so these don't really tie together in any specific way, unless we want to try to do something magical, but we'll just go through each of the questions. We've got three or four of them. So um, Nick, the first question came from um, your sermon on September 22nd, Speaking Like Jesus, um, where you hinted that our culture has um, a poverty of kindness. So can you talk more about what kindness is and discuss why this might be missing in our present culture? Um, you can share some examples of what that looks like in action. Yeah, so, so what kindness means is to behave in such a way as to fully recognize the humanity of another person and to treat them with a kind of delicateness that that deserves, mm-hmm. right? Recognizing both the, their value being made in the image of God mm-hmm. and recognizing the difficulty of life under the curse, mm. right? Yeah. But given that, you should be kind. So Philo the Jew, who was not a Christian author, obviously, in the first century, is wrote. there's a famous quote from him, be kind to everyone, for everyone fights a great battle, mm. right? So the idea is, is that like everyone's important, Everybody feels like their life is hard. Mm-hmm. And so you should be kind to everyone, mm-hmm. right? So I I believe that um, there is a significant poverty of kindness right now mm-hmm. in America in various quarters. I think that has a lot to do with historically revolutionary thinking that over the last couple hundred years has focused on um, morality being about what you do revolutionarily in terms of freeing the oppressed that that's what morality is mm. and therefore and 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 that has usually in it bound up the view that the way oppressors have kept kept people oppressed is by saying that personal morality was paramount and the way you did things was more important than the end result of what you did mm-hmm. right so they would say, "Look, there's a lot of there were a lot of nice Southerners during the era of slavery, that like didn't say obscenities and like were faithful to their wives and whatever. But they were like slaveholders, yeah. right? So, so th- there's there's a lot of that kind of talk. And what what it tends to do though is is it tends to focus the mind on two things: one, on the world rather than on your neighbor. And so hmm. it focuses you on distal rather than proximate, like what's further away from you rather than what's closer to you. Mm-hmm. So Jesus didn't say you're supposed to love the world. He said you're supposed to love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because he didn't love the world. I mean, it literally says in John three sixteen, God so loved the whole world. Right. But to God, everybody is 
logically close. Right. To us, that's not true. Mm-hmm. We only pay attention to what's immediately around us. And so what, so we, we can easily say, oh, I love Madison, but I hate my neighbors. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And the answer is no, you don't. You don't love these abstract things like cities. You either do or don't love your neighbor and your children and mm-hmm. your friends and your coworkers and the people who you're driving cars with and so on. Mm-hmm. And so um, so what's te- what tends to happen is, is that people tend to think a couple of naive things that corporate morality is the most important thing. And, and a lot of times within the revolutionary flame framework, there was this idea that like when people talked about truth, especially moral truth, they just weren't admitting that they were talking about power, hmm. that every conversation about what people do with each other is really a conversation about power, not truth. Yeah. And like Christians don't believe that. Hmm. Like we believe that there are things that you have the power to do that you must not do. Mm. Not because you don't have the power to do them, but because they are wrong no matter who has the power. Mm-hmm. Right? There are things, for example, that God won't do. Right? For example, it's impossible for God to lie. Is it because he can't come up with a lie? No. He won't lie because he's truthful. Mm-hmm. Right? But you're like, wait, does God not have the power to lie? Well, God has all the power there is. He could lie out, he could lie everything he said could be a lie. Mm-hmm. He has plenty of power to lie. But he is constrained by his own understanding of what is good, Mm -hmm. that is based on what is true. Mm -hmm. And because it's true and because God is truthful, he can't lie because of his his character prevents him from doing so. Right. Right. Similarly, human beings are supposed to recognize that there's lots of things that we do, not because we don't have the power to disobey them, but because they're just right. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of like what's sometimes called essentialism. That what matters is not what happens to us. What matters is what is good, true, and beautiful, Mm. right? Um, Is kind of fundamental to personal morality, right? And so it's very easy to say. So nowadays what we tend to have is there's a lot of social posturing, a lot of um, advocacy and awareness and wokeness about things that are distant from us for Mm -hmm. the most part. And if we affirm those things, we're a good person. Mm -hmm. And the... And personal morality is increasingly deconstructed. So mm. sexual sexual morality has been profoundly deconstructed. Um, the institutions like marriage have been profoundly deconstructed. Um, vulgarity versus proprietous speech, like what what is good speaking, has mm-hmm. been profoundly deconstructed. For example, there's a podcast of an African-American leader in town who said, essentially, I, I'm, I am simplifying this a little too much. But she said, basically, young young African-Americans should be able to come to school board meetings and cuss people out because they've been traumatized by the structural injustices of the disparities in the school system towards them, right? Mm-hmm. Th- I, that's both right and wrong, right? Like, no, they shouldn't cuss out their elders mm-hmm. at board meetings and the people who are institutionally in charge of their educational well-being, right? No, they shouldn't. But if you care more about them saying those words than the traumatization they may or may not have experienced, assume, let's assume they have experienced it and it is from the institution and not from other things, mm-hmm. right? And if they come into the board meeting and they say cuss words and you say, oh, you can't say those cuss words, but you don't think about or relate to what they were saying when they were cussing. Right. Right. Like we've been hurt. This is bad. Like mm-hmm. we need things to change. Right. 
she's right about that to, to say, wait, you know, mm-hmm. like you, that's legitimate. Right. Yeah. So, but some people have thought from that, that, oh, therefore then your personal behavior isn't relevant if you're advocating for the right thing. Hmm. So you can hate your Republican neighbor or your Democrat neighbor because they're a Democrat or Republican and they're for the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So you, they should receive some kind of discipline for that, like your distaste of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's not how Jesus rolls. Right. And one of the reasons that's naive is if you try to be an advocacy based person and you don't give yourself to the profound development of personal morals, you won't be good at being in charge of the big stuff. Hmm. You'll never come up with the right policies. You won't understand human beings. You won't understand how things will get better. You won't really understand oppression. You won't understand what real equity or equality is. You won't understand what justice is. You won't understand any of those things. And then you'll ruin everything and hurt everyone because you think you can, Mm -hmm. right? The way Jesus talks is he says, listen, what you need to start with is repentance. And you need to recognize that you belong to God and so the way the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians is this. You start with this. You put off the old self and you put on the new self that's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Mm. Okay, that's what you're doing. Then what that means is, is that you stop lying to people. You stop sinning in your anger. You don't let the sun go down when you're angry. You don't give the devil a foothold. You stop stealing. You start being more productive and generous with your work. You don't speak in any unwholesome way. You don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. And then you learn to be kind and compassionate to one another, including forgiveness. Do that first. Okay. If you can do all that, then maybe somebody will be right to give you any kind of responsibility to either speak the truth publicly mm-hmm. or to be in charge of an institution or be in a place in an institution where you can try to bring about change. If you don't focus on a complete personal transformation in your own heart and character mm-hmm. so that you treat your neighbor with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness, you'll never be competent to change anything mm-hmm. and you'll make everything you change worse. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It, I, th- I think that's kind of fundamentally at this idea of like, I think that produces a lack of kindness mm-hmm. because people don't say the most important thing about me morally is how I'm treating the people most immediately connected to me right this minute. Mm-hmm. So I, listen, I've seen really good liberals in Madison who are nice people treating the person taking their order at Chipotle like they don't exist. Yeah. Yeah. At all. Or getting like really snippy with people. And like, it seems really out of character because mm-hmm. when they're talking about their issues, they're like full of passion and compassion. And then the literal person oftentimes making the wage they're trying to increase. So they'll like sit at the table, talk to you about like how we need a minimum $15 wage, right? And then they will like get angry at the guy making nine forty seven an hour mm-hmm. who's waiting on them. Mm-hmm. And they'll talk about how stupid the person is. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, You just are trying to explain to me because of this issue that you're virtue signaling about that you care about these people. And sometimes they really care about that issue mm-hmm. and they want to help those people. And, and But it's so abstract. It doesn't actually connect with the moral heart of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so until you love your neighbor, like literally the people around you, yeah. especially the people you don't like, yeah, you are 
actually coming apart morally mm-hmm. and spiritually, not coming together. Yeah. And then you tend to do really bad things on the macro level too. Sure. And so God is always making people focus on who they are. Yeah. Before he gives them responsibilities or before he talks about bigger issues. What about the people who, like, if, I don't know who sent in this question and if they're coming from the perspective of, like, they if they are coming from the position where they tend to not treat people well, or if they're coming from a position where they, they think they probably do treat people well, is there a mis- misconception that people can have about themselves where they think they're being kind, but they're actually being something else? Like it is sure. positive. I mean, what what is it that somebody might think is kindness, but they're actually it's something not complete in that. But it's yeah. I don't know. Um, comforting someone with falsehoods, hmm. um, correcting somebody when you're really just condemning them. Um, like uh, there, there's lots of ways, mm-hmm. right? Where you want to believe you're doing one thing, but you're really doing something else. Mm-hmm. So you want to believe you're being kind, but you're not being kind. Mm-hmm. You know, telling a young woman who through promiscuity and just foolishness has gotten pregnant that like she should get an abortion. Mm-hmm. That feels very kind. Sure. Because why should the, her whole life be turned upside down? Why should mm-hmm. her body be taken hostage for nine months? Why should all these things be the case? It's very kind to right, but it's not, it's, it's, it's incredibly cruel mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Telling a woman who's or a man who's struggling with their marriage they should get a divorce that feels kind because mm-hmm. you're saying, "Well, I want your suffering to end." Mm-hmm. But it's incredibly cruel to tell people to do something that's soul destroying mm-hmm. and harmful to generations and so on. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you can't listen to the extent to which your conscience isn't fully calibrated to the beauty of Christ. You can't trust your feelings of compassion and empathy, mm-hmm. especially your feelings of empathy. Because em- empathic feelings can be 100% selfish, right? So like if we were both women, you and I were both women, mm-hmm. and we both had bad marriages, and or let's just say we neither of us wanted to live in a bad marriage, mm-hmm. right? And my marriage was really bad, and I was like, Aaron, my marriage is so bad, and John, my husband, he does all these things, and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. blah. How, are you gonna, how is empathy going to direct you, right? Empathy is going to say, oh my gosh, I would hate to be in that marriage. Mm-hmm. I would hate to live like that. I'd hate to put up with those things. I'd hate to have to stay. Mm-hmm. And so your selfish empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Your desire to flee such a situation, mm-hmm. you'd be like, well, I'd want to flee. Yeah. So what should I tell her? Well, I should tell her what empathy suggests, which is you should flee. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not kind. Yeah. That's not true. It's not good. It's not right. Mm-hmm. So empathy is not a trustworthy feeling. And a lot of people, when they obey empathy, they think they're being kind Mm. and they're not being kind. Yeah. They're being cruel and ungodly and well, wicked. Yeah. I think the same is true of comfort. Like my, my first thought was, well, I think I would want want to just comfort you and then probably not, not speak certain truths. Maybe I wouldn't say, well, yeah, you should get out, but I would, Mm -hmm. um, let you sit in that place where you could maybe consider getting divorced or doing something that really biblically, biblically wouldn't be allowed. And yeah, so I, I think whatever Instead of being like, sweetie, that sounds really hard. Mm-hmm. It sounds really hard. Do you think there's anything in your power that you could do so that a year from now it didn't feel this bad? Mm-hmm. You know, and like just help her take that responsibility back on herself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, I, but so obviously a knowledge of godliness and what is right and right. good is fundamental because you have to combine 
your general feelings of compassion towards other people mm-hmm. with the truth to figure out what love is. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. On a micro level, I've realized in um, parenting Ruben, who's two, I it it's just very normal for parents to say, like, if your kid does something not, well, not nice. Like you say, don't do that. That's not nice. And I realized, like, the, I don't know if the word nice is anywhere in scripture. And I mean, <laughs> a lot that I can think of, but I've been starting to say that's not kind. And when I use that language, it's made me think, I don't usually... It keeps me from saying to Ruben, stop doing that if it's something that's just annoying me or if right. it's something that's, um, yeah, just uh, inconvenient for me. There's If I'm relating it to kindness, there's this immediate connection I start to make between truth and humanity. And, and a lot of times because the kindness has to do with another person or how, he, how he's treating another person or how he's treating me. And so... Um, yeah, just even just using that language more has made me think a little bit more in depth about yeah how I should be parenting my child. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think that all of our moral shortcut words like nice, the more we can get rid of those, the better. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I was I was working on discipling this a young man in the church who called everything he disagreed with stupid, <laughs> and I was like you need to use more words. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Just just say, I think that's mistaken. Mm-hmm. Or I think it's, people are being willfully wrong. Mm-hmm. Or I think that that's thoughtless. Mm-hmm. Or I think, because stupid can mean like 15 things. Right. And just in a few weeks, he started doing it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, people don't misunderstand me as much. Mm-hmm. He probably understands like himself. Exactly. Right, yeah. right, right. So yeah, that's true in our parenting too, just to yeah. say that's bad or that's not nice or Mm-hmm. I mean, no, you, there's a wider moral universe and learn the, learn the biblical vocabulary yeah. of morality and then teach it to your children's hearts. Yeah. 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 So second question that we got sent in, that we had sent in was um, from your sermon on the character of good humor, um, which you talked a lot about language and how what we say mm-hmm. does matter. And you had this really great um, graph that had, it's very hard for me to describe, but and somewhat complicated. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. I thought it was very helpful. So on the X axis, right. That's horizontal. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you had like positive speech on one end of the spectrum and negative speech on the other end. And above that line was, um, the direction of being loving and below that line is the direction of tor- like direction towards hatred. And when you are above that, above that line, um, you're being faithful, right? And whether it's positive or negative, positive right. or negative language. You're let you could be yes. speaking positively yes. or negatively, but if you're above the line, it's still faithful. Yes, it's a good thing, and it's to some degree loving. Yeah, but if you're below the line, it's unfaithful, whether positive or negative. Yeah. So the point of the graph was to say the issue is not whether or not your words are on their face negative or positive. Mm-hmm. The issue is whether or not they're faithful. Right. We and, can see if and therefore increasingly loving or increasingly hateful. Yeah. We'll see if Ashlyn can link this graph in the yeah. show notes to help people understand. But one of the, the question that came in was um, that, well, you had a lot of different examples of what faithful speech looks like. Like it can look like correction or teaching, affirmation, Thanksgiving, and unfaithful speech can be things like foolish talk and coarse joking and um, flattery. Exactly. Reckless talking, yeah, boasting, seduction, yeah, yeah. <laughs> among others. So, 
in the faithfulness on the faithfulness side you had silence mm-hmm. up near the very top near love and someone asked um, why was silence placed in that particular spot um, on the chart and not in other spots and um, the reason that this was asked is because in discussions with friends about the sermon we thought silence could actually go on both sides of the chart as positive and negative or i shouldn't say positive and negative um, loving, faithful and unfaithful. Yes, faithful and unfaithful yeah. um, in regards to love. And so, and they gave some examples of like being um, abusive um, or right, remaining silent, um, being passive aggressive. Yeah. So, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah. So, the answer I gave that email was agree, mm. right? Like, so, yes, silence can be used as a faithful form of interaction or a negative form of interaction. Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody says, pours out their heart and says, What do you think of that? And you just say nothing. Yeah. That's not good. That's yeah. not faithful. That's not loving. Right. Yeah. But if somebody's pouring out their heart to you and you l- say nothing and listen very intently for an hour or two, mm-hmm. that's very loving. Mm-hmm. So it's true. Silence can be at both sides of that line. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the, however, the foil thing to silence that I put below the line was noise. Mm. Sure. That, there is a certain kind of natural sweetness to silence when people have the ability to appreciate it mm-hmm. and giving people the gift of silence can be a very beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And there is a thoughtless noisiness that people give to one another as a diversion from reality mm-hmm. that is generally harmful. Mm-hmm. And you see that perpetrating our culture more than the other type of of or i'm sorry so you no, i'm just i just foiled the two against each other no i okay. think silence is used negatively constantly okay i think it'd be horrible how people use silence mm-hmm. in how they interact with other people and i think it can be very painful and extremely um damaging mm-hmm. but there's a lot of just thoughtless noise mm-hmm. created by people and a lot of pregnant silence Mm-hmm. Created by thoughtful, wise people. Yeah. And I'm just trying to contrast those. Yeah. That's all. That makes sense. Great. Um, the last question that we have is from the sermon, Speaking Like Jesus, which was also on September 22nd. Um, we were talking about um, suppressing sin without repressing emotions. Right. Um, so what are some practical ways? Suppressing sin with the S. Without repressing yes. with an R emotions, right? Yeah. So it'd probably be good for you to just briefly define suppressing versus repress, repressing. And right. Yeah. So, yeah, well, how do you do a those? Very simple things. example. Yeah. Okay. So, um, if I, so I, you've told people you're pregnant. So if I said, mm-hmm. um, Aaron, you're looking very pregnant today, <laughs> right? You might want to punch me in the face. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So if you were like, I want to punch Nick the face, I'm just not gonna. Right. Yeah. So you want to punch me in the face. You know you want to punch me in the face, but you just don't punch me in the face. Yeah. That's suppressing the sin. Right. <laughs> yes. So that you would engage, you wanted to engage in the sin of violence. You didn't engage mm-hmm. in the sin of violence in this case, even though you wanted to and you knew you wanted to. Okay. Mm-hmm. However, if I was like, Aaron, you look very pregnant today, and you, and I was like, oh, sorry if that. I, if that made you mad and you were like, didn't make me mad. Nope. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get, I'm going to get bigger. I'm pregnant. Who cares? <laughs> you know, like you wouldn't let yourself even acknowledge that you were hurt, that that bothered you. Mm-hmm. And you just like told yourself like, 
nope, I look, look if, you, if you did, I would have forgiven you. I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. I don't, I don't have these kind of angers. I'm not that insecure anyway. I'm not going to blow. Mm-hmm. And so for lots of internal and external reasons, right, you're just like, I'm not upset about it, mm-hmm. right? But you are, hmm. right? Yeah. So repression is the refusal to accept the truth about yourself and what you really feel and what you really think and what you really know in your heart, but you won't accept you know. Mm. You won't you won't let yourself know, but you can't not know it. Mm-hmm. And that's what produces like these anxieties and angers and depression and stuff that's coming from places you don't can't even name. Mm-hmm. When people say, Well, don't repress it. Like some people say, like, if you just see somebody you'd like to hook up with and you don't, that that's repression. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. You see them, you know you want to hook up with them, and you don't. That's mm-hmm. called suppressing or refraining mm. from something. Yeah. Repression is when you won't let yourself know that you know something. Hmm. That's repression. It's completely yeah. different than suppression. Yeah. So Christians are called to suppress sin and to get very good at suppressing sin mm-hmm. and to be honest with God and honest to God about their hearts so that they are the, they should be like, so if you are extremely holy, you would be a hundred percent successful at suppression and a hundred percent successful in getting rid of repression. Yeah. There'd be no part of you, nothing you felt that you didn't know you felt. Mm -hmm. You'd be completely honest with yourself before God. You'd know exactly who you were and you would have the capacity to stop yourself from doing things that you didn't want to do. Yeah. You knew you shouldn't do. And so some people believe that if Christians are suppressive of their sin, that they must be a repressed people. Hmm. And if we follow Jesus well, we'll be literally the opposite. Yeah. And what I've noticed in culture is, increasingly when I talk to young people, especially who aren't believers, they are terrible at suppressing things hmm. and so full of repression, you can hardly stand it. Yeah. Because because yeah. in modern cult, secular culture, they've been taught that a human being is something other than what a human being is. Mm. So they don't even know what a human being is. And so they don't know what's going on inside of them mm. or what's coming up or what's there. And they just deny a bunch of things. There's mm-hmm. lots of things that are unthinkable. And they repress so much. Mm-hmm. But because they don't suppress hardly any of their desires, they do whatever they want. Yeah. They think that they're these free and open people. Yeah. But they're not. They're incredibly repressed. Yeah. And of course, they're all hurting each other terribly and traumatizing each other. And of course, those hurts and traumatizations, the natural way of dealing with them is to suppress them, mm-hmm. right? Because it's really hard to face them. Mm-hmm. So they become increasingly more suppressed people of yeah. increasingly bad traumas and insecurities and inferiorities, yeah. all the while not suppressing their sins, thinking that they are unrepressed people mm-hmm. and thinking that we Christians are the most repressed people yeah. that there are. And it's literally exactly the opposite if we're godly. Yeah. Now, there's lots of Christians that are terribly repressed. Right. Well, that's my, yeah. So follow up question is how like you said a minute ago, if we're following Jesus well, then we will get this right where we will suppress sin without repressing real emotions. Right. Do you have some? And we will unrepress the areas where we're repressed. Sure. Yeah. Like angers towards our parents. We don't even know we have. Yeah. Jesus will be like. The reason you're behaving this way is because you hate your dad still Hmm. and you need to forgive him. Mm -hmm. So what are some practical ways that people can grow in this? Like how, how does a person begin to do these things well, to suppress sin well, 
to not repress their emotions. Okay. So in the question, the question was, how do we suppress sin better? Yes. Okay. So we can circle around to repress if you want, but here are some examples. Okay. So one would be just getting yourself away from the temptation. Mm. So like if your sin is overeating Fritos, just get away from Fritos. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like don't buy them at the grocery store. Don't sit next to them during the Super Bowl party. Yeah. Like just like, literally like the Bible literally flee temptation. Yeah. Right. Second is um, work on self-control in every area of your life. Right. So I know an- more, pa- more people than I would have thought who take cold showers. Hmm. I do that usually the month and a half before I go elk hunting. Oh yeah. You just, I work out really hard. I get really hot and then I cool down a little bit and then I get, and I take a cold shower because I'm trying to like, rid my body of its normal sense of comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes you energetic, like exerting that self-control to get in that cold water. Like it help, like every act of self-control. So like right now over the last month, I've been doing a lot better in a bunch of areas where I don't do well hmm. because I've been making myself exercise almost every day, get into cold showers and execute all these things to prepare for my hunt. Because I've been like doing all these other self-control things, other areas of self-control have come increasingly mm. easier to me because self-control is a universal virtue. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things you do is like, if you're having trouble with your eating, start with some other things. Go to bed on time, get mm. up on time, exercise. Yeah. Like start exerting self-control in other areas. That's good. As you do it, it works more globally and you get better at those other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so another way is just exert self-control, not do the thing. Mm-hmm. Like one way to suppress sin is to just use self-control and not do it. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds simple, but it's like some people don't think in those terms. Mm-hmm. And one thing to add to this is if you're really kind of addicted to a sin, the way your body will respond and your mind will respond to your temptation of wanting to do it is to make you feel like it's inevitable and that you'll never be free mm-hmm. of the temptation until you do it. Yeah. And so you might as well just give in because the temptation will increase in intensity until it's unbearable. Mm-hmm. So you might as well just give in now. Okay. What you need to realize is that's a bluff. It's kind of a internal psychological bluff that your your body and mind creates to get you to do what your sensory self wants to do, mm-hmm. but that your cognitive, moral, and spiritual self doesn't want to do. Yeah. And you just need to know when your body's playing tricks on you mentally. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's like, kind of like, you know, you go for a run, you run 25 yards and your mind's telling you you've had a good run, Mm -hmm. right? All the way to like, it's okay to go to that person's office and talk with them a little longer because Mm -hmm. we have this business we have to do rather than just, you just take pleasure in just yapping it up with that person Mm -hmm. or you're becoming increasingly attracted to that person Mm -hmm. or there's lots of examples and you have to just be like, nope, I'm not doing it. And knowing how you lie to yourself, calling out those lies and then not doing Mm -hmm. it. Um, for having people around you to hold you back from it, like people who are there in the moment. Mm. So for example, um, when I travel, I will try to take a young man with me. Hmm. So there was this one time I was traveling and I went to my hotel. I didn't have any, have any dinner. I went across the street to a sushi place. I sat down uh, at the bar. Um, there was this woman sitting right next to me who was like seven years younger very attractive turned out she was like a fire dancer right <laughs> and so we're like sitting there talking blah blah, blah. Yeah. and obviously i'm attracted to her yeah but i had a 21 year old intern sitting next to me hmm. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not like I would have like invited her up to my hotel room, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't think so. But there was no chance mm-hmm. that was going to happen because yeah. I had an intern with me. Yeah. And so in the moment of temptation, I literally had somebody that was there to make sure I fled it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. In addition to that, accountability wise, you can have an accountability partner that you will have to confess to after the fact. Right. And if you find that confessing sufficiently humiliating, Mm-hmm. That can really help you in the moment too, mm-hmm. especially for lesser sins or sins you fall into more, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so having people with you where you might be in a place where you could be tempted mm-hmm. and or um, having people that you're accountable to who will ask you questions about things that you don't want to have to admit them to. Mm-hmm. Both of those can increase your self-control in situations by using other people as help. Yeah. Well, that goes hand in hand with um, growing in not repressing real emotions because in those circumstances, when you have that person with you, I'm sure you've either communicated with them or someone else. Like this is, you're here for a reason. Like I'm not just bringing you here because Mm -hmm. we're best friends, but because this is something that I know that I could be prone to struggling with or I am struggling with. And so then you're communicating those emotions. Yeah. Sorry. I cut you off. No, that's fine. Yeah. The main reason I bring those guys with me is to make sure I never watch pornography in a hotel room. Because yeah. it's hard to get the hotel rooms to take the TVs out. You've you tried know? that. I tried that. Yes. And they're yeah. like, they they just are like, well, just don't watch it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't want to know when I'm there yeah. that I have a pipeline of porn into this room at any moment. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the issue. I don't want, I don't want to spend the energy. Like, mm-hmm. they're not sympathetic to that, most of them. Yeah. Um, so having that young man there uh, makes it so like... Well, I don't want to disappoint him and he's right there mm-hmm. and I right it just helps me yeah it's sh- I shouldn't need it and maybe I don't it's very likely that if they weren't there so I've had to travel alone before mm-hmm. I've never looked at pornography while I travel alone yeah. but I feel like wisdom is to build multiple layers in mm-hmm. you know so that when one fails and I've had situations where I would have failed mm-hmm. in certain things had I not had multiple layers yeah you know yep so okay another thing is um to positively feed your resisting energies so that you're more spiritually energetic. So like self-control is a function of both character and energy, right? So a lot of people fall into sin when they're just really depleted energetically. Mm-hmm. They get depressed or they're just tired and they like, like if, if I'm going to be irritable, it's usually at the end of the day with my kids or my wife. Mm-hmm. It's not usually when I'm like, I just exercise. I got a good night's sleep. I'm into work. Right. That's not when I get irritable with people. It's a depletion issue. Yeah. And so if you're doing things that build into your spiritual energy um, and you feel close to God and you're walking in his ways and you're thinking his thoughts, mm-hmm. you just have a lot more energy to resist, mm-hmm. right? And then conversely, the more you develop your long-term character, the stronger you are as well. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of resisting, you don't just work on your energy, you work on your energy and your character. Mm-hmm. And, but both those two together are stronger than either one of them mm. in health apart. Yeah. Because yeah. you can have people with good character who get so depleted energy-wise that they fall into something they wouldn't otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then you have other people that like their energy is super high, but because their character really isn't anywhere, yeah. anything can still knock them around because their emotions fluctuate so much because mm-hmm. they're not that stable. Mm-hmm. So you want you want stability, strong character stability, and yet a heart that's on fire, mm-hmm. you know, with a strong spiritual fervor serving the Lord, like yep. it says in Romans 12. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of a, a subset question of that question it has to do with anger, which has come up a number of times in the mm-hmm. Being Made New series. Um, 
So what does it look like to express or get rid of anger in a godly way once you, once you feel it? Suppression is the first thing. Hmm. Recognizing it for what it is and holding it back is the, by far the first thing. In your anger, don't sit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Um, and then don't let the sun go down while you're angry. You need to let it go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You need to let, you need to do what's necessary to allow the anger to subside. And that could be a number of different things depending on why you're angry, right? Additionally, in Matthew 5, I think it is, Jesus says, you've heard it said don't murder, but I tell you if you're angry at your brother, um, you're guilty of sin. Mm-hmm. I can't remember actually the, the penalty language in that verse, but it's like anger is connected with murder, mm-hmm. right? And so what Jesus, one of the things Jesus is saying is he's saying, you should treat your anger towards other people as probably illegitimate. It's probably a murderous impulse rather than a really legitimate one. Mm-hmm. Um, because the only reason you're allowed to kill another person is they did something worthy of death. And that's probably not what really happened. What probably happened is you're angry at them for mm-hmm. some other reason, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's much more likely that we covet something or that we feel a slight or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think that believing that your anger is probably on some deep level illegitimate, that it's both legitimate and illegitimate. Like, yeah. yes, there was this slight, yes, that's all true. Yeah. yeah. But but the baseline needs to be... Jesus forgave me yeah. instead of staying angry with me. Mm-hmm. God put away his wrath in his love by bringing the Christ that sac- that anger is dealt with through sacrificial forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to make things whole or good. And that's the way of Jesus. And he's Jesus the one who said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be the ch- called the children of God mm-hmm. or sons of God. So a godly person is a peacemaker who puts away anger in forgiveness, recognizes that God has forgiven us of oh, oh, 10,000 times more than we could ever forgive a person on this earth and that they deserve a forgiveness in that sense mm. and that God demands forgiveness of us. Mm-hmm. And you start putting that stuff together and you can start to begin to deal with your anger. The more you you spin in the loop of self-justification or you put down the root of bitterness, the more you are inflaming your anger. Mm-hmm. And um, a mature Christian will, will get to the state of humility with increasing speed. Hmm. And after a yeah. while, it'll just be a reaction. You'll feel yourself getting angry and you'll be like, this isn't faithful. Hmm. This isn't real. And you'll start, and then you'll start to talk to yourself. Why am I, why do I feel this way? Mm-hmm. Okay. God forgave me. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and you start working through it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think you need to think of anger as never pure. Mm-hmm. If you think your anger is pure, like your anger is just righteous anger. It's justified anger. That's real dangerous. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so you you need to look for the impurities in your anger. Mm. And usually if you will really look at them, look for them, they're everywhere. Yeah. And then you can start to sort things out. Yeah. That's good. That's challenging, but that is good. Yeah. <laughs> and part of humility is the self-forgetfulness, self-forgetfulness of saying, what was this like for the other person? How did they feel? Mm-hmm. Right? That's what love would do. Love would say, 
okay, when I said that to her, how did that make her feel? And oh, that, okay, then her reaction makes perfect sense. Yeah, I wish she wouldn't have done that, but, and you start empathizing mm-hmm. in a positive way, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not the treasonous empathy of like, you want to sin, I, I would want to sin if I were you, so I'll tell you to sin. Mm-hmm. But the godly empathy of like, yeah, if I was in your situation, just a little weakness would produce this. Yeah. I'm at least that weak. I can understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And then now what's the noble thing I will do? Or it's a sacrificial thing I'll do. Mm-hmm. So that that would be the good use of empathy. Yeah. And humility will produce that good use of empathy. Mm. Usually. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Nick. Um, if you, if those who are listening continue to have questions about the sermons, please email um, those into us. We would love to answer them here on the podcast. Yeah. If you want the full 16 um, suppressions of sin I put in my list, <laughs> yeah. uh, email the podcast and we can send that to you. And um, if, uh, if one of your questions was not how can you suppress sin, but how do you unrepress hmm. a lot of things that you think you fear might be in you, hmm. um, then write in a question and we'll talk about that. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.